welcome to the Riot Woman podcast, which features creative conversations with artists, academics, and activists who identified with or were influenced by the punk and Riot Girl subcultures. I'm your host, Eleanor Callett Whitney, a feminist, writer, and marketer based in Brooklyn, New York. I'm the author of the forthcoming book, Riot Woman, a collection of memoir-infused essays about how Riot Girl has shaped my life. On this show, I'll be talking with a diverse range of guests and invite them to reflect on how punk, feminism, and the do-it-yourself spirit has impacted their adult lives and the work they make. This episode features musician, artist, and illustrator Taewon Yu of the band Kicking Giant. Tay was born in Korea and grew up in Japan and then in Queens in New York City. Tay was deeply involved in and influenced by the early Riot Girl and do-it-yourself scenes in Washington, D.C. and Olympia, Washington, where he lived for about a decade throughout the 1990s. Tay and his music, art, and commitment to creating community and connection have long been inspirations to me. Drying Room Records recently re-released Kicking Giant's early recordings under the title this being the Ballad of Kicking Giant, NYC Olympia, 1989-1993, to and Tay designed a stunning gatefold cover that is a document of and tribute to that time. In this conversation, Tay thoughtfully shares his unique experience with and understanding of Riot Girl, including how he first met Molly Newman and Allison Wolf from the band Bratmobile after reading about their zine Girl Germs in Sassy Magazine. We talk about the power of community, self-expression, and the empowering feeling of creating your own scene, identity, and movement. He also discusses how the generation of artists who lived in Olympia before him helped inspire Riot Girl and feminist art in the Pacific Northwest and how these artists showed him how to build a life and a community as a creative person. Tay's reflections are a beautiful tribute to the compassionate encouragement that existed in the early 1990s scene in Olympia and are a great example of creating a life for yourself as an artist and an outsider. Enjoy. Today we're talking with Taewon Yu, who is an artist and musician who lives in Brooklyn. We're in his Brooklyn studio surrounded by instruments and art-making implements and very excited to talk with Tay about his involvement in Riot Girl and the DIY scene and how it continues to influence his life and his art making practice. Tay played in the band Kicking Giant with Rachel Carnes. He went to Cooper Union, studied art, and lived for a long time in Olympia, Washington, home of the Riot Girl scene, and also has lived in New York for quite some time and continues to make art. Uh, so just want to talk to Tay to start off about Riot Girl. How did you discover it? How did you meet some of the folks involved? You know, yes. tell me about that moment. I think, you know, for those of us who are younger, like myself, who kind of discovered Riot Girl after mm -hmm. the fact, very curious to know what it was like, you know, at the beginning. Yes. And Riot Girl is such a amazing, it's a fascinating subject and it's such a wide umbrella. Um, in fact, I actually wanted to ask you when you discovered Riot Girl, because I think that there's many different Riot Girls according to each individual's age and experience and, and perspectives. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's what's so important. I'm glad you asked because when we're talking about a subculture like punk or like Riot Girl, there's mm -hmm. infinite variations, and that's what makes it powerful, but also it's important to be specific. So and very, very difficult to define and have one state and to, or to make one definitive statement about. Definitely. Yeah. So for me, just for a little context, I grew up in suburban and then rural Maine. Mm -hmm. And I discovered Riot Girl when I was about 16 or 17. So that would be about 97, 98. Right. Uh, right. I had just gotten out of a sort of toxic relationship with a guy, I guess mm -hmm. you could have called him my first boyfriend. And he, you know, I'd always loved like alternative music, right. uh, Nirvana and Hole. But 
I then started through him listening to more indie bands, bands like Cub, who are kind of what was called cuddlecore. They were very cutesy and kind of DIY, but I it appealed to me because I could imagine myself making music like that, you know. Right. And through that, right. I discovered Riot Girl and labels like K Records and Kill Rock Stars. And I remember it was with an order from K that I got a magazine that was selling zines. I think it was it was mm-hmm. more of a distro. It was called Catch of the Day. Catch of the Day. Yeah, it was from yes. Olympia. And they Catch sold... of the Day was, it was Star. No, Star, Star Athena. And I think it was... And and she was in the sub devs and oh, I remember I love that band. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And that was sort of like the um before by Olympia, which is sort of like the online retail um uh hub. Uh but Catcher of the Day, I remember it was like a sort of like a catalogue, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a catalogue. Yeah. And then art and zines and I didn't know what a zine was, but I just mm. knew that it was something that made sense to me. Right, so I right. sent off for those and I think through that I discovered um, not just the music of Riot Girl, but the other kinds of expressions that went along with it. So right. scenes, the politics, I learned about the Riot Girl conventions. And then I think there was this sort of nostalgia because all of that had happened maybe early to mid 90s. And right. then I was in the late 90s. So it was only a few years old, but I felt like I kind of missed it. And I felt very sad because... I was so excited that there was other young women and some men, just young people, like who really wanted to make a difference in the world and make art and make music. And I think another part of this that I forgot is I read about Riot Girl in Spin Magazine. In Spin Magazine, <laughs> of course. Yes, I think that was where I was like, "Whoa, yeah. what yeah. are what is this? I need to find out about these bands." And I think yeah. I made a list of bands to look up at the records or at Bull Moose Music. So bands like Bikini Kill, Slater Kenny, right. uh, Elliot Smith, Heavens to Betsy. And sure. I was like, I have to find these used CDs. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's 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 remarkable that uh, your initial contact and adopting and, and excavation of, of this subculture that you discovered um, is actually, it's, uh, the initial contact is very similar to my own experience in that the even though my experience happened almost like 10 years before what you went through, um, I also discovered, well, not really Riot Girl, but it's kind of, I made contact actually with uh, Allison Wolf um, and Molly through Sassy Magazine. Um, and Sassy Magazine uh, was, um, I'm sure you, many of your listeners will know, but a why they, I guess it was a mainstream yeah. teen magazine, mm-hmm. but um, very much different in in its editorial stance and and messaging from a previous uh, teen girls magazine like um, Seventeen, uh, yeah. things like that. It really championed the kind of alternative scene and feminism, mm-hmm. and there was a zine of the month, right? Zine of the month, and exactly, and Girl Germs was was there, and oh, and, wow. and and was on it, and I think that's how I wrote to them, and this was this would be actually before Riot Girl, I imagine, but mm-hmm. maybe down to maybe only several months before that but i got the address um what they wrote about girl germs uh, sounded great and and wrote to each other and we were both similar age and just beginning to uh, explore the possibility of being in bands and um all this kind of self-expressions and so just after the initial contact being able to just trade artifacts right you know um tapes and 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 zines and writings and letter writings and all these things i mean that really uh started the connection and probably similar to you it was sort of like actually making connection to uh similar like-minded people um from far away sort of assuaging the loneliness of of um like feeling you know like sort of like an outsider or someone who's trying to um you know find their own identity yeah. uh, at a young age. Were you still in high school at this time or No, no, I was actually much older. I was oh, actually wow. in I was I was in college. I was I think I was although I was aware of Sassy Magazine around in high school, but I was still a fan and I it really felt like 
even though the editors of that magazine was a little bit older than me, but probably not that by much. Um, but what they were interested in and their attitude um, really resonated with me. And so um, I sort of kept up to it. I was just a fan of the, of the magazine. I really couldn't believe that this magazine existed. I think the initial contact with uh, Allison and Molly and this kind of just really exploding enthusiasm <laughs> um, really gave, a, gave me a lot of fuel for, the for my own possibilities of self-expression. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and, and thinking about Riot Girl, you know, I realized that my mm, understanding of Riot Girl was really kind of, has it's a very short window, like a small window. I remember being on the phone. I mean, this is all like 90, 91, um, being on the phone, um, being in contact with uh, Allison and Molly, and they were sort of getting Bratmobile together and... I remember telling me, it's like, oh, yeah, we got this thing called Riot Girl Scene. And, and it's sort of like their own kind of girl gang that was happening. No other details, really, other than this <laughs> zine and some sort of like kind of, um, it seemed like they were having underground meetings. And, but um, but it sounded interesting enough. And, and so my experience was kind of like witnessing and being privileged to um, be friends with these uh, women who were... Um, exploring how they can uh, express themselves in this way. And so at that time, I was starting my band, Kicking Giant, with Rachel. And we're just beginning to tour, just learning about how to be a band, make records, and not even make records, really, just tape ourselves, mm -hmm. um, play shows. The very initial um, baby steps towards um, actualizing this, what seemed like a fantasy, maybe a year or two ago actually being in a band. So doing this with Bratmobile and Nation of Ulysses and Bikini Kill and our friend Sleepyhead in New York um, versus also was happening at the time. Sort of like all of us who were very young and some of us with really no connection to music other than just going to shows, creating this momentum and, and a community and helping each other and share information. You know, so for me, that was really what I remember and what I really um, treasure about that time. And I guess that goes under the umbrella of Riot Girl. But Riot Girl, as it, what it became, um, as it became more well-known and um, the information and the sort of, I don't want to be so crass to say that it's a brand, but, you know, forgive me, but it's like, you know what I mean. It's yeah. like the idea of Riot Girl as understood by a, a wider audience. Well, it was definitely like... From accounts mm -hmm. I've read, like kind of seized on by the mainstream media right. in, in yeah. an almost predatory way. That yeah, well, yeah, and then I think that was. I mean, that's something that you know. I really, I, I don't have uh, firsthand knowledge about. Right. It's most through observation. But, yeah. But I, re I, I recall the tension because it's like you know you have to understand that you know the people involved and myself included we were all very young, we're like late teens to early twenties, and this was like the first touch of actually having some sort of media exposure dealing with a, the surprise consequences of actually mm -hmm. saying things out loud and being reported and then being interpreted misinterpreted you know and people reacting to it um, all these things were very new and we had I don't think any of us had real any real understanding other than just trying to best to adapt and reactive and try to trying to protect ourselves all of these things. But back to what I was saying, I, I realized that the right girl of my understanding and my own um, experience is quite different from the right girl as it's understood in the general sense mm -hmm. through whatever Wikipedia or Bikini Kill reunion um, and right now uh, in uh, 2019. That's right girl as it, as it grew and as adopted and enlivened and given went going through its uh, multiple cycles of life and and uh, where it is now which is definitely right girl but what i can answer to and what i can um, share with yeah. you is mostly about um, those years of like very early stages of uh, around 1991 1992 um, when some of these bands were um, you know just initially getting started and uh, very being very active, and this would cover up until perhaps only up to up to about 1994. Yeah, well, I'm curious to know like how that felt, or like <laughs> you know what 
because for you, you mentioned it was really about learning how to be in a band or just yeah. have self-expression, the community of, I guess, discovering this together. So I'm just curious, like, how would you describe your Riot Girl? Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. And this is very subjective. This is truly my Riot Girl. But that's um, why we're talking. Yes. And, um, and my Riot Girl is really, well, first of all, there's definitely, uh, we were fortunate to, we took up the mantle of, of our strong antecedents and our forebearers. Um, and my, what I got from it was, the, was really about self-expression through the power of community. And it would express itself in something, perhaps the things that we take for granted, but the ideas of just kind of like putting on a show, just getting a space together and putting on your own show, whether it's at a, at your, in your apartment or in the laundry room, a garage, uh, putting up flyers, getting some bands together, um, doing it for the kids, essentially. Um, and then that being supported by our friends who were at uh, radio shows at college stations and basically creating our own identity and our own movement. It's almost like it's, it felt at the time sort of like play acting for me, mm-hmm. sort of like role playing, like. I, I certainly, from my own background, I, um, I, I definitely fantasized about being in a band and this kind of fantasy of like making records and all these things. So this was like my first foray into actually, you know, making this a reality. And um, Riot Girl seemed to me a embodiment of this creative energy that was just really, we were kind of waiting and ready for and for, for myself, like I was living in New York and Allison and, and Molly in DC. So like becoming in touch with this other community there whose aesthetics and their um, way of doing things was very different. I definitely got something to me was quite new and which was, I think was a part of the course in DC, uh, which is just creating your own scene and not having to depend on, on clubs and bookings, mm-hmm. booking agents and things like that. So the, so the idea of actually just creating your own, own magazine, right, that, that spouts your views and, your, and what your preferences are and, and talking about um, your passions and your, um, your friendships and um, sharing information that way. And the aesthetics of actually like putting on shows that really reflected your community and the things that you were interested in and doing it for, um, for the benefit of the people you knew. Um, that was very different from... Uh, the way we pursued being a band in New York at the time, this would mm-hmm. be 89, 90, um, where, you know, we were basically, uh, the model that we had in New York was that of like, we're, you know, we're in a punk band, but we still have to call up, you know, bars and mm-hmm. regular spaces and try to convince them to let us play. The DC aesthetic was really more about like, oh, well, we could play anywhere, <laughs> um, just put flyers, get people together. And Allison and, and Molly, um, they were, uh, I think they met in University of Oregon in Eugene, perhaps. And, and Allison came from Olympia. And so she definitely had the experience of um, seeing uh, people who were older than her, um, you know, Calvin, Stella Mars, doing Girl City and their own community spaces. So that, I think, was imported through DC and then to us. And I think perhaps in New York, we, we were probably, myself and and Rachel, we were probably the first band to sort of make a connection with that lineage yeah, and try to create our own scene that's sort of very connected to and plugged into Girl Germs, Bratmobile, Discord, um, Simple Machines, and Bikini Kill were, were doing. But it had, had a lot to do with this uh, type of scene and expression where like, we're creating our own, our own aesthetic. And that part uh, was very exciting. And that's what I always connect with with riot girl feminism certainly but the for me as an artist the desire and this single point of focus of actually being able to um, actualize um, shows zines community a look almost instantaneously that part i really took a shine to and really paid attention to yeah yeah and after college, you ended up moving to Olympia, or mm-hmm. um, and how did that kind of <laughs> impact your music or your art practice? And how did you, or how did you kind of continue to 
carry that spirit of like making your community, making your own aesthetic, building your life. You know, yeah, exactly. I was definitely, I was full on and engaged and connected to, you know, if I, you could call it Rat Girl, but there's certainly um, other bands who did not come under right sense of, uh, of the um, label of Rat Girl. But um, definitely the bands that toured around that time, uh, Beat Happening, and before that, Go Team, Mecha Normal, Sunville Sidewalk, uh, Tsunami, oh, yeah. Unrest. So I was definitely in the mix, Nation of Ulysses, of course. So there was a lot of exchange going down and playing there, um, sharing venues, um, coming, hosting them in New York, um, putting on shows for them. So we were definitely had a community and a friendship, a very strong sh- friendship. And when I finished college, um, in, uh, I guess, 92, um, I had been to uh, uh, Kicking Giant was invited to go to uh, IPU, International Pop Underground um, Convention in, oh gosh, I'm very embarrassed to remember. It must have been, is, it, is that 91? I, I think or it 90. is 91, yes. but we, we'll check our facts. It's, it's, a, it's, it's such an important time, it, but I mean, it's it like... it really is like the I, pivotal, <laughs> the pivotal... Okay, the history I learned, let me say this, is yes, that please. that was, you know, when International Pop Underground Convention happened, and I believe like Pat and Kelvin had, you can correct me, had a lot to do with that, but it really brought the sense Correction, Candace Peterson. Okay, thank you. Of course, men are remembered, (laughs) No, 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 please. Candace Peterson and um, Calvin Johnson, um, they were running uh, K-Records at the time, and International Pop Underground was their series of documentation through recordings of the, yeah. what they felt was the international pop underground. There, right. there were uh, some people who were um, creating their own art in these regional spaces. And um, this was sort of a, literally was a convention, uh, like bringing all their friends from pastels from Scotland and Canaan's from Australia, New Zealand, um, uh, head coats from England, um, you know, Kicking Giant from New York, um, all these bands. So the, it was an effort. Yeah, it truly was like the idea that it was a convention, yeah. a, a, a gathering. Yeah. Right. And that, that, from what I learned, you know, really helped solidify the idea that that was an international scene and that it was sort of a new mm-hmm. movement of, uh, I guess, almost the do-it-yourself ideas that was connected to Riot Girl, but also... Kind of more expansive than yeah i mean actually right girl um, was definitely after that yeah. in as in as much as how we understand it now yeah because um the first night the uh, debut of international pop underground was girl night which is all girl bands it was like everybody you know of course it's like we we're so excited we all got passes and this is what's happening and the first night was just one after another like you know, you could read about it in other sources, but it was an incredible evening of music. And the idea that this was the first statement, right? Like yeah. vo- um, women's voices is, exists. It's, and it's always existed. But the realization that like, oh, I guess we just have to actually create situations where enough amount of people efficiently can, um, can hear them and talk about them and create an event and an action so that it becomes a a tangible um, thing that we can refer to yeah, and how important that was. You know, it's um, because there's obviously there's been um, women-fronted bands and um, women's aesthetics and voices and, and visions that's always occurred. But the thing is, it's like, it's always been a struggle, obviously, to have these uh, voices and art be taken a seriously, which is just mm-hmm. ridiculous, and also that you have to keep struggling to fight for your space for it, right? Year after year, generation after generation, and um, and I guess perhaps like that girl night was sort of like the culmination of this particular re- and within the, the recent few years, like these all these people are still doing things, all these people um, are all these um, young bands are still doing things. Um, let's just you know, gather them together and just like celebrate that and share that and, and have a, have an event that we could actually point to and say, like, um, like, remember that? Like, you know, here's, and, and I don't think it was intended as anything other than a fun event, really. Yeah. But I think um, what it actually occurred was that 
because of the, all the connections that were made and people discovering each other. And I think also the other thing about that situation, I know from several anecdotes from people who were there how inspired they were from the audience and also from the people who performed. And um, I remember seeing Rose Melberg, and this was, and, and she performed, and she of Tiger Trap. Um, she was very young at the time. She came up from, I think, Sacramento and played. And to me, it's like, oh, I thought she had been in the band forever, <laughs> you know? Right. And, but I, it was so amazing to discover that she was actually, that was her first time playing. Is that possible? But, but it was very early. And it's like, so she was just kind of breaking her own yeah. um, boundaries and showing, um, actually presenting herself for the first time. Um, there was um, this uh, Olympia girl duo, Ice Cream Truck. I think that's what they're in, but two local girls, just like straight ahead punk teens, just singing. These, I think they only had two songs, perhaps, <laughs> but they just went out and did it. And then there's like, um, it's like um, Crevice from Vancouver, um, British Columbia, which I think they had seven women guitar players. You so know, cool. just insane, right? Like normal. I, but I don't know. I can't yeah. recall everyone. But, but there was a feeling. But this like cross pollination of yeah. like um, of people who are doing it for the first time. Some people who are do, have been doing it, um, but just seeing all the different facets of expression. And in a way, even though um, female centered identity was there, but it was also just the power of of the of of human beings whose voices were not accounted for was not were not well known and they're playing guitars and music whatever but the thing is it's like beneath that there is a is an experience and an attitude that subtly appears through the art yeah yeah and it's like it's it's hard to pinpoint but it's is very distinctly different from what we're used to and what we um just sort of kind of take it for granted is what music should sound like or what art should look yeah. like or how, you know, what humor, what kind of humor should be normal, you know? Mm -hmm. You know, these are, we're kind of swimming in the sea of, of normality, what's considered normality, you know, but there's voices that's not, that's as strong and as fascinating and as interesting and, or as, um, and as provoked, as thought provoking and as ridiculous and as dumb as, as these voices, <laughs> but they're just different voices, but you know they need you know but we, but we definitely need a um a, a balanced um a landscape yeah yeah and that's and that particular experience of girls night was um i really remember that as something very different and something and not just because they're just all women right but just like the the sound and the power and the aesthetic and the way they did things the way they didn't do things just i, I can't even describe it um but it, but I just knew that it was different, and, yeah. and I appreciated that it came uh, that I had the opportunity to witness it. Yeah, well, not just witness it, but then you were a part of the festival as well. Oh, of course, yes, yes, and um, that was a magic, very magical uh, summer. You know, summer in Olympia is is very very beautiful. It's very very much like Eden. You know, <laughs> yes. after months of rain, you know, all the flowers bloom, and it's like it's not super hot. Um, but also, you know, if you could imagine like a downtown of a small, small city, small town, uh, sort of taken over by punks, and you're seeing, you know, you know Fugazi and um, the Headcoats and um, Gene Smith and um, you know, Allison, all these, you know, everybody just kind of, yeah. Just walking the streets, yeah, <laughs> just, just like, like normal no, people. Well, but yeah, but but not. we're all but we're all so excited to see yeah. each other and hang out and talk and yeah, and it was a, yeah, truly it was a convention in that sense of of making connections, you know, and not just like consuming music and right. and and just like and waiting in line to see bands. It's a, there's so much life that and a community build, building that happened, um, you know, outside of the stage and and, and venues. That's yeah. so cool. So different than I think like a contemporary music festival or something, which is, mm -hmm. I mean, I try to avoid them, but it's just kind of like waiting in lines and uh, yeah. you feel more like a passive consumer than a co-creator of culture. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It, it felt, um, felt like we were stepping into um, a blank space and we were uh, responsible for um, whatever 
occurred and what um however how we we would define this community yeah so uh i went to uh, i played um an afternoon show with uh, bratmobile at the convention and um, jad fair and um it was an amazing week of shows and i returned to new york after that but i had in my mind that i, I definitely wanted to uh, return and perhaps uh, start the next phase of my life in Olympia. Mm, nice. uh, I didn't have much happening in New York at the time. And I was really, I guess, felt more committed towards um, making music and, and trying to do that full time. And I, I felt that I needed to um, leave New York to yeah. do that. Yeah. The other experience of, of playing in, in Olympia was how just the interaction with the, with the audience is so different. The you know, audiences in, in Olympia were just kids. Um, you know, they weren't jaded music fans. <laughs> you know, they were dancing right. and they needed the music and they actually used the music in order to express themselves. In New York, um, it was definitely trying to be cool and mm-hmm. um, definitely gain approval of certain um, tastemakers and, um, you know, being critical on an aesthetic level, all these sort of things. But it was definitely just an expression of um, youth and, and enthusiasm uh, from a much more grand level yeah. in Olympia. And I, and, I could see that that was where, you know, that the actual power and, and creativity uh, lay and potential for making new music um, that was closer to who I was, was had much more, a uh, better chance of doing that in Olympia. Yeah, yeah, so exciting. It's funny to hear you mention that about New York, because that's a New York of many years ago. Mm-hmm. And yet I'm like, huh, how little has changed. Oh, is that true? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I haven't been in a band no, no, in New York it's, in a while. But, no, no, you know. it's, it's so true. It's so true. <laughs> it's, it's just it's, a New York attitude. Yeah, yeah, it really is. And But the thing is, it's like, it really is very regional. And in that yes. sense, it's like, it's so just kind of isolating, you know, you know? And yes. because it's like, not everybody's like this, you know? Like, because <laughs> it's like, you because... Yeah, just like yeah. rock bands in New York. It's they're really it's it's horrible. It is horrible. Um, no offense to my friends in rock bands in New York. Some no, of you are my best friends, absolutely. but it's just that yeah, that I think exactly what you described with the audience. I mean, this is just a personal side. I remember when I moved here in 2001 from Portland, Oregon, where I'd spent a year living my like post-riot girl teenage dream. And then I came to New York for college and I went to see Reiner Maria, I think, and Mates of State. And <laughs> I was just like dancing because that's what we did in Portland. And right. people were like really into it. Yeah. And I remember this guy who I think turned out to be Reiner Maria's manager or something at the time was like, you're not from here, are you? And I was like, <laughs> I just moved here. And I was like, oh, and it just really was a slap in the face, you know, of like right. how you conducted yourself. It shows. <laughs> Absolutely, absolutely, and um, yeah, and exactly. And when we played in Olympia, and even in DC, it was just just felt so much more freer, just because the audiences were freer, and yeah. um, and it really fed off. Uh, we fed off the, that energy as well. Yeah, and so um, moving to Olympia in 1992, sort of, and I stayed there for ten years, and it was really um, truly a very important. <laughs> uh, life lesson like a series of life lessons being there just learning from how that community uh, worked together and just like did things for themselves um, um, I lived with uh, Nikki McClure who is a um, celebrated author and uh, illustrator but um, at the time um, she just I, yeah just graduated um, uh, Evergreen like I, um, I had graduated uh, Cooper Union but she was also a connector to connect, had connections to the previous generation mm. that I was not a firsthand witness to, right. but um, through her, fr- uh, my friendship with her and expansion of that community, I learned, you know, all these people, um, Stella Mars, so important, uh, Toby Vale, um, Heather Lewis, um, Margaret Doherty, Maggie Murphy, Candice Peterson, uh, Donna Dresch, Jen Smith, she was in D.C., Michelle Noel, Diana Aaron, Cynthia Connolly, she was in D.C., uh, Tammy Ray. Megan Kelso. Um, so anyway, there were many people um, in in different groupings, and but who've sort of laid the groundwork for how to create a community and how to express yourself as artists, as as outsiders. Yeah. Um, and I was very fortunate enough to uh, fall in with um, part of that community and just learn from it because 
I learned that yeah, we could put on a show and we should have a pinata. Uh, we should have and we should have a dance party. We should have um, snacks. We should have these. We should have a benefit. Like, but oh, but at that time, um, definitely uh, 90, uh, 92, 93, 94, um, It just seemed like we were just constantly putting on our own shows. Yeah, definitely in Olympia, um, and it seemed like that became the norm. And we never had to depend on actually going to um, book a club to do it. Right. Um, so it was all community spaces. We had access to spaces. Yeah. So the Capitol Theater, um, there's a backstage, uh, which is basically the stage, but you just entered from the back. And, and, we, and the audience and the, um, the bands played on the stage. It was just the seats in the front that was not accessible. So it was just the stage itself became the, yeah. the, the space. And uh, we just had you know, years of shows there. I mean, it's amazing because the list of people that you mentioned, mm-hmm. what I love about it is that a lot of folks that were musicians, but also artists of many different artists, kinds. It was very really much so. Very mixed. much so. Yeah, yeah. And it's like an artist, but people who are also like crafters yes. and um, activists. But perhaps, you know, that's part of the, like, the privilege of like living in a, in, in, in a place at the time where it was cheap enough to live, yeah. you know? And, you know, these are obviously cases that we always look upon with such you know, jealousy about the past <laughs> when, you know, New York, the rent was so cheap and you had time to uh, make art. And I felt like I was, I had a little taste of that in, in Olympia. Yeah. Um, and definitely um, it seemed like all these people out of necessity um, and out of boredom, um, you know, created a, a scene, but actually individually created um, powerful artworks, um, powerful messages. Um, an expression. And that to me, that expression of being kind of doing it yourself and, and allowing it to be what it is without regard to comparison expectations of what it should, what it should be, you know, that was really, for me, like sort of like the powerful message of that's connected with Riot Girl. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And it's interesting to think about Olympia in that time that some bands that were getting like major international attention had kind of come out of that town and I feel like and maybe you could tell me but my Mm -hmm. impression was that while there was this very DIY scene and people creating art and shows and organizing their community for themselves and for that place there was also kind of a spotlight on it at certain points because of band Mm -hmm. on Olympia so it kind of to me from my outsider's perspective living in Maine mm-hmm. in another small city I was like why can't Portland Maine be as cool as Olympia you know they're just <laughs> right, like right. wasn't that coherence there and it was interesting that all these activities that were happening in this very small town in Olympia mm-hmm. sort of made national and international waves I think also thanks to the vision of many of the artists there. Yeah, but but also um, I think part of that formula or that uh, equation is that the media is always looking for something, mm-hmm. right? They're looking for content and looking to um, write some write about something. And so definitely, I think that there's regional talent in every c- community. You know, whether it's just like three of you in a town, or it could be you know thirty bands in a town, but what's really the same is really just just trying to make the make the most of what you have mm-hmm. right that's yeah. really, that's still the same i think that the you know in olympia and i think this is maybe perhaps the case in um some other scenes like in um athens georgia yeah. um washington dc um minneapolis it seems like you do need to have like a space like a community space and you need some people who have a vision and certain level of ambition about i don't know what it is like coalescing these disparate artists and movements and activities under a sort of a grouping and so candace peterson and calvin johnson who ran k records and slim moon who ran kill rock stars these two labels sort of established themselves as sort of like helpers mm-hmm. um and i think that their vision and their and their uh, mission was essentially that like all these friends, all these people were creating art. Not everybody has experience. Not everybody has access to equipment and resources. But if you are, if you have the enthusiasm and if you're like working towards a goal that's, and you're actually doing something for yourself, 
like, let us help you. Yeah. You know, let us, you could use our phones, you could use our um, fax machines, coffee machines, you could book our tour, like you could use our list, you know, all these things. And, and then the next step was like, I'll help you put out a record, you know? So it was like, it's like, if you're, if you're going to help yourself, we are a resource in which we, you could, uh, we could collaborate to, to add to the greater community and, and hence pay it forward. Yeah. Like, you help other bands and younger bands and disseminate this information. And, um, you know, Simple Machines was very much had that, that mission in D.C. Um, they put out this incredibly informative pamphlet, this book, booklet about how to make your own records. And it really showed you down, down the line, like, who to call, what you need to do. Um, these are terminologies so you, you don't sound um, dumb or, or intimidated by, you know, people who are working in it. In, in, in professional in capacity plant. in pressing plants all <laughs> yeah. these things yeah all these things like kind of like these are things and that spirit being embodied by these organizations these people that i think really helped to bring people together and actually make more art more statements more actions and um, once you know you have enough of those things happening that be- that in itself becomes a subject it, which is right. talked about and shared and disseminated. And therefore, and, and I think that's basically what the media uh, needed yes. uh, and paid attention to. I can't really see it from your perspective, actually right. seeing like somebody else's scene, you know, um, and trying to fantasize about it or under, try to figure it out. But uh, I can understand the, the perspective of myself as um, 16 years old and younger and uh, being fascinated by the Gang of Four. Perubu, Bush Tetras, uh, you know, punk bands in the 80s, like yeah. The Clash, and um, trying to figure out, like, you know, what are they about, you know? Yeah. And trying to go backwards in time and, and try to uh, excavate uh, information and um, about, like, how did they do it? You know, that's so, so in that sense, I think it's, it's you know, our experiences are very similar. Yeah. You know, um, at, at both, both points um, at when we were, uh, respectively, you know, 16 years old, we were both looking at somewhere outside of our, <laughs> of our actual life and, um, you know, trying to, you know, uh, put together enough information to, you know, create a, some sense of order to, so that we could actually use this to do our own thing. Absolutely. Yeah. And I feel, I can't remember if I used that Simple Machines, how to make a record pamphlet yeah. to make my band's first seven inch single but Uh i definitely remember looking at it and i felt really grateful for so much yeah the movement of um that you were part of what i'm trying to say i guess is by the time i was 16 or 17 or 18 and wanted to make records go on tour Mm -hmm. there was more information available thanks to the generation or half generation before mine so i didn't feel completely on my own but we are talking especially for you pre-internet and for me the internet was just starting to be a thing but you couldn't like book tours online or anything like that i used (laughs) uh, maximum rock and rolls book your own fucking life i think um you know to find people or just folks i knew through zines and making cassettes but i was so grateful for all that folks like in Olympia and DC and other places had made to help other people and to talk about what they were doing and how they were doing it and why. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that really helped. So I think that was different than I think some other subcultures, maybe there was real impotence to help. Yeah, definitely. It was, it was definitely um, a sense of just kind of dem- democratizing the means of, of production. Absolutely. Right. right. That these, this is not, um, you do not have to be a member of a secret cabal to <laughs> to access information about like how to basically create to be to participate in an economy yeah. so that you could actually live yeah. right because this is like again it's, it comes back also to not just as artists of actually just you know expressing ourselves but also to creating like having a job like being you know whether you're a writer or um, you're have a label or you're in a band or any sort of thing um that's like you know you're an outsider and you don't want to work in the office you know you want to you know try try things out <laughs> and you don't share 
the, pers the mainstream perspective. It's like, how do you do that with as much independence as possible? You know? Yeah. And, and in order to sort of actualize a, your vision about the future and how it should be. Like, and part of that is actually, is, you know, one of the most important thing is like how to make a living and how to make a living where your, the time you spent uh, earning money to pay rent and all these things in, is in line with um, your own your philosophy and how you wish to be treated and how you wish to, to treat others. All those things were was very important. And, you know, the spirit of independence, it had very much to do with being able to um, sustain yourself, create art, and infusing art and, and other express, peripheral expression, how to infuse it with, with your own idea of like how it should be, you know? Yeah, um, and how to make your, your life, not just your art, yeah. but your whole life. Yes, exactly. And how to sustain your life right. and your art, which right. are not separate. <laughs> no, not, not at all. And that's independence, right? It's, yeah. it's not just like putting out a record on your own, but to make a living on your own yeah. and to, so that you can actually just keep going. Uh, and that part, actually, um, I refer back to this very important figure, both Nikki McClure and, and Stella Mars. You know, Nikki, at the time, she uh, worked at, as a forest service, I believe. Um, but, you know, she would work temporarily in the forest, come back and, and um, be able to live. Um, but she was also making art, just beginning her, um, her career as an illustrator. And, but Stella Mars, I mean, she was already an artist. She did all these, all these amazing art projects before 91, before IPU, that really influenced so many people. And she was somebody who just like her, she was going to be independent and she used art and she created those early postcards. Mm -hmm. And she's well known for her postcards, yes. which are amazing. They're and they're just uh, feminist statements, one after another, using old Im you know, images from... Um, like 1950s advertisements and uh, collaging them. But like she created these um, feminist statements, which were packaged in these <laughs> postcards and, and she's, she made a living off them um, for, for a long time. I, I think she still continues to do, but she's also making more installation art now. Yes. But, but she's somebody um, who was truly an artist and was truly adamantly um, independent, but also figured out in ways to how to sustain herself and make a living and, and set an example for how to how to be an artist and um, be true to yourself but also sustain yourself yeah. and, and be self-sufficient i mean these are not easy things to figure out at all no but, no and no. there's very few models really and maybe now i think this is more of a conversation i mean i had a job for a long time at the New York Foundation for the Arts, kind mm -hmm. of helping artists think about sustainable strategies for uh, earning a living or raising money for projects. But I don't think this is a conversation that has been as much in the mainstream, especially when you graduate from art school and you're like, here's your life. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Good God. Jeez. I mean, that's, I mean, that's another... Yeah, especially if you're um, pursuing art, yeah. but really anything, but anything outside of like going straight into marketing or, you know, right. having a profession that's already waiting for you. Yeah. How, how do you maintain yourself, uh, your creativity and, and make a living? How do you make, how do you make a living creatively? Yeah. You know, how do you make money creatively? I mean, these are, you know, these really important issues that are really just not talked about. And, you know, we're really woefully <laughs> behind in, in addressing this, yeah. you know, because I think that the idea of like, if you're good enough, you'll get it or you'll figure it out or, but it, it just also seems like you're the model that they kind of expect you to follow. Perhaps, you know, perhaps this is just mostly in the, um, the visual arts and they don't even give you much lessons in it about like how to be, you know, a gallery artist, right. you know? And that's really not, you know, it's not, shouldn't be the only option. No. Yeah. Well, we've been talking for a while, mm -hmm. so I want to, like, respect your time and your story. Mm -hmm. um, but I'd also love to talk a little bit about the present and maybe this idea of making a creative life is a, is a nice transition into it. You know, now... You are still making art. You're still living a very creative life. <laughs> um, how, and you also recently reissued uh, some of Kicking Giant's music. And the cover of this record is 
beautiful. It is like oh, thank you. a loving tribute to this time we've been discussing. Yeah, and yeah. I, for anyone who's interested, I just highly recommend picking up this record because the songs are amazing and sound like they could have been recorded yesterday. But also the artwork that you created and the collage with the photos you took, it's just a, a tribute to this time. So I guess I'd really love to learn more about, you know, the impetus to resurface some of the music that you made and how you kind of square that with the work you're doing now. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that was a long question. No, no, not, no, not at all. Yes, um, the uh, the album th um, that you're speaking of, is the, the full title is called uh, This Being the Ballad of Kicking Giant. <laughs> I think 1989 to 1993, Olympia, NYC, something like that. Something it's, like that, yeah. yeah. It's, on, it's on uh Drawing Room Records. Um, it's a double LP gatefold package. Um, yes, and it was, uh, it's basically a reissue of a um, compilation CD, which was uh, the Kicking Giants' first release, which was a CD-only release that was made, I believe, in 1990, 1993, perhaps 1992. It came out, and um, it's no longer in print. Um, but it, while we were an active band in New York, um, and definitely the first few months in uh, Olympia, Basically, we, our, our releases were cassette only. We would just um, record ourselves or, um, and just create these mixes, and which were dubbed at home and distributed. And so uh, the compilation CD, the Halo CD, was just basically a, um, like selects from that era of, of uh, cassettes. And then in, I guess in 19, uh, well, actually it was already a few years ago, but Jeff from Drawing Room Records, um, who was, a, was probably your age and who was a fan of Kicking Giant uh, from Arkansas, he, uh, he lives in New York now, and he approached me about uh, reissuing Halo. So it was an opportunity to, to revisit the work. I was a little bit hesitant because it was definitely juvenilia, and I, I'm very proud of um, all the work that um, Kicking Giant, myself, and Rachel produced. But definitely the early stuff, it's like, you know, it's kind of, some, some of it is great. And some of them I'm a little <laughs> bit <laughs> embarrassed about. Um, but I think it still holds up. But, but it, it was a real challenge for me to look back um, and try to, I don't know, process all these things that, that seem so far away. And it took me a really long time to actually finish the packaging and try to, and for me, uh, the music is definitely there, um, but for better or for worse. But for me, the, the graphic design and the packaging was, was really my statement about, um, about the time and what it is, what Kicking Giant is and was. And I realized that the approach that I really needed to take was that it's not about the band. Um, the band, myself, and Rachel, our connection and what we did was had everything to do with um, the experiences that we had uh, on tour, making connections with people and the places we lived and places we uh, traveled to. And, and in these small towns, in all these different places, we would just meet like-minded people, people who are younger than us, people who, and even to this day, I still um, am, you know, Make con some, you know, periodically make contact with somebody who was really affected by our music and um, the greater experience of like being, um, being acquainted with K Records and Kill Rock Stars and the fanzine scene, et cetera, all these things. But we were, my position about the past and, that, and the music and the album was really about trying to reaffirm the connection mm -hmm. about how art is intrinsically connected to the desire of expressing ourselves as loners, <laughs> as outsiders, mm -hmm. um, people who are looking for connections and, and how punk rock and this particular kind of punk rock that sort of gained a momentum in the early 90s that I was fortunate to be a part of, how that really um, touched everyone, myself included, and all the people who perhaps never started a band, but uh, went to shows, who did zines, and who were inspired to, um, to find their own trajectory 
um, through contact and taking inspiration um, from their friends, essentially. So, and this was sort of like this compassionate, this kind of encouragement and compassion. And I, re- and I sort of remember the kind of the attitude of um, seeing bands like Bratmobile, Bikini Kill, uh, Tattletale. And, and what that is, is that the people who are on stage really just uh, made efforts to um, just bring the audience closer and say that this is our space, you know, and to encourage um, all the members in the audience and anyone who was interested in starting their band to, to go for it, yeah. you know. And it was really, and, and that really went both ways. And it wasn't, you know, it's always... It's, it's, it's always like a spectrum of experiences. It's not like, it's not so ideal that it was always that way. There's definitely <laughs> people who are um, jerks and people who are, and, you know, bands and audiences both wise, you know, because we're all, like, these are nature, human being, human beings. But overall, but um, I felt that that was really the, one of the core spirit and attitude that we, we breathe. And, um, and as time has passed and, myself being, you know, like looking back at something that happened, um, you know, decades ago, I recall that that how strong of an influence that is to me to this day. If, um, as who I am now, I, I'm, I still feel very much um, infused with the attitude that like there is space, what I, whatever I can share to help others, especially in regards to expressing themselves and um, creating art, making art. Like it's my great pleasure and privilege to be able to do that and that is definitely something that's directly in connection to um watching heavens to betsy play mm-hmm. and tattletale and excuse 17 um you know like they had that energy of like looking at you in the eye in the audience and like saying like there's no difference between us up here and you down there you know it's like it's this is the the division at this moment but next time we're going to be the audience and we're going to be cheering you on. That's beautiful. And I think that's the spirit of, of Riot Girl and of DIY for sure. And yeah. as, a, as your friend and as someone who's sort of part of your community now in New York, I've been really impressed that these connections still run very deep for you. I mean, this is a lot of these folks like Stella Mars, Allison are still in your life. Oh, very much so. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for sharing a bit of your journey through Riot Girl and DIY and Olympia and as an artist with us. It's always amazing to hear people's stories and to hear how you continue to be inspired by this moment in your past and that it's very contemporary. You know, you're carrying that in to make the art you're making now. Well, thank you so much, Tay. Really appreciate chatting with you today and all my that pleasure. You thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this edition of Riot Woman. You can find Tay's archive of photos from the Olympia scene on Instagram at summer underscore guitars and him at Taewon Yu. That's T A E. W-O-N-Y-U. You can also find the reissued Kicking Giant record at Drawing Room Records. If you want to hear more about the early Riot Girl scene, Tay is also featured on the podcast Girl Germs, which focuses on Bratmobile's first album of the same name. For more information on me and this podcast, you can visit eleanorcwhitney.com slash podcast, where I've also included links to many of the bands and artists Tay discusses and some of his beautiful photos from the events he described during the show. While you're visiting my site, I'd also love it if you signed up for my mailing list. You can also follow me on Instagram at killerfemme. The song Half Lie by Talene Kali is our theme music. You can hear more of her work and support her at talenekali.com. Finally, if you liked this podcast, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It means a lot to me and helps others discover the podcast. Thanks, and until next time. <laughs>